Live from the Business Radio X studios in Atlanta, it's time for the Exit Exchange. Brought to you by XPX Atlanta. Dedicated to changing the trajectory of exit planning services in the Southeast. Now, here's your host. And hello again, everyone. I'm John Ray with Business Radio X, and welcome to another edition of the Exit Exchange. Uh, and I want to, uh, sitting here alongside David Shavzin, Bob Tanksley, uh, co-founders of the XPX Atlanta chapter. Gentlemen, great to be back with you. Thanks, John. Good morning. Thanks again, John. Yeah, absolutely. Great to be with you. And folks, uh, just a quick reminder that uh, this show is brought to you by uh, XPX Atlanta. Uh, you know, XPX Atlanta is leading an exit planning revolution. No less than a revolution. Uh, it's based on a simple and long overdue realization that advisors can create much more value for business owner clients when they truly collaborate. XPX Atlanta members build professional relationships to guide their clients in business value growth and a more successful exit. For more information, go to xpxatlanta.org. And now we want to welcome uh, Larry Gard. And uh, Larry's actually a, a friend of XPX Atlanta from the Chicago chapter of XPX. He's with Hamilton Chase Consulting. Larry, welcome. John, thank you. It's, uh, it's really good to be here. Yeah, thanks for being with us. Uh, give us a little overview of how you're serving folks at Hamilton Chase Consulting. Well, let's see. Um, I started Hamilton Chase Consulting about 15 years ago. Before that, I uh, had a private practice as a psychologist. And uh, I wanted to work with uh, individuals in, in, in business settings and help them through a variety of transitions. Um, I like to say that my focus is on hiring and retiring making sure that people are in the best spot possible based on who they are. Uh, with regard to the uh, retiring piece, I offer short-term uh, pre-exit coaching packages that are designed to give people a framework and a process for thinking about what they want their next chapter to look like. That's great. Great, Larry. Uh, so welcome. Um, Pleasure to have you here, especially because you're one of our fellow XPX members, and uh, you get what a lot of this is about. So we've uh, you are guest number three in uh, our radio show as we kicked it off January this year. I uh, wanted to get just different perspectives from our regular monthly program. So um, what I'd like to do is follow up a little bit on what you just kind of walked through. You know, as you start to work with the business owner, um, and especially those who are getting close to an exit. And uh, as we see in our experience day to day, most of those are the baby boomers, which probably add some other dimensions. But from a psychological perspective, from that preparation to give up, uh, walk away from something they may have built over the years, um, you know, what, uh, what, what pushed you to do that, to get out of the day to day practice uh, and over to the business side? I mean, what, what uh, intrigued you about that? Well, that's a, that's a great question, David. And again, before before we go any further, I want to thank you and Bob for inviting me to uh, to participate in this. I've got uh, 
really fond memories of my my year spent in Atlanta back in 1981. I worked on the uh, uh, inpatient psychiatry unit at Northside Hospital, and that's that's where I developed a, an appreciation for for grits and fried okra. And some of the stand-ups uh, <laughs> in the hospital cafeteria. <laughs> a shout out to all my friends down there. Um, in terms of, uh, you know, why focus on the psychological side of, of this question? You know, money can give you options, but it doesn't prevent you from feeling bored, aimless, or, or listless. And most people think about, you know, how much money they're going to get after they, they sell. Yet few of us think about what we want to gain from life afterward and, and how we want it to feel. I mean, you know, most baby boomers... I think spend more time planning their kitchen renovation or their child's wedding than they do psychologically preparing themselves and planning for life after they exit. You know, in terms of my passion for this, it, it you know, it's got a lot to do with my father's experience. Hmm. Along with my grandfather and my uncle, my dad built a business selling construction equipment in Detroit. The problem was he never spoke with my brother's and me about the future of his business. He didn't create a succession plan and he refused to discuss what might happen as he got older. You know, he started losing his eyesight in his mid seventies and he struggled on for nearly a decade trying to keep the business going, but he was saddled with massive unrelenting debt and he had to shut it down. And you know, David, it was like watching a train wreck in slow motion. So that's what really galvanized me to focus on this area. Okay. Okay. Wow. That's a, quite a story. Um, so, so that you probably touched on a couple, but what, what are the mistakes you're seeing people make, you know, as they're looking towards exit from your perspective, you know, from a psychological perspective, and if there are none, then you're obviously not out there talking to real people because everybody makes mistakes. Yeah. yeah. Well, you know, I think there, there are sort of four areas that I tend to see a lot for four key mistakes. And I, I have to give credit to uh, two very esteemed colleagues who are also, I believe, members of XBX up in the, the Northeast, uh, Jack Beauregard and Paul Cronin. Uh, they've written extensively on this topic and they've given names to the first two of the, the four mistakes that I see. Uh, the first one they talked that I'll mention, they, they refer to as an R and D approach to, uh, to planning. And they don't mean uh, research and development. They mean repression and denial. Okay. Uh, you know, and I think, you know, my dad probably fell into that category. These are owners who are uncomfortable even thinking about leaving. And so they don't do any advanced preparation or planning. Um, but this, of course, leaves the company really vulnerable if a decision has to be made pretty quickly about exit or succession. Um, they also tend to continue to work and sometimes against their own interests. You know, an example of that would be a, a, a business owner who insists on working and misses out on a seller's market. Second big area that we see mistakes in uh, would be referred to uh, by my colleagues as seller's remorse. And I'm sure many of the people listening have, have seen this, where the, the owner will begin a negotiation process without being emotionally ready, and they develop cold feet, and, and they back out of the deal. Well, you know, they risk 
losing some of the money that they paid to intermediaries and their advisors. And, and backing out really creates a lot of disruptions for the stakeholders involved. Um, and actually, their business operations could falter, too, because they've, they've you know, not had their eye on the ball. The, the third big mistake is crafting unrealistic or ill-conceived plans for the future, only to end up feeling that same sense of, of discontent and aimlessness that you were trying to avoid to begin with. Yeah. Yeah. Listen, we've all known many people whose only plan was to play golf. And, you know, sometimes it works. You know, for some people it does work out, but you know, I've also seen plenty of people who find find themselves incredibly bored. And, you know, as advisors, you may think that this doesn't really affect you, but indirectly it can. And I'll, I'll use an example. If you're a real estate agent and you consistently put your clients into homes that are not a good fit for them, well, you're not going to have a very happy clientele. Well, if you as exit planners... Um, if your clients find themselves unhappy in retirement, many of them are going to regret having sold their business in the first place, and they're not going to be a good referral source for you. And the fourth, the fourth mistake is being blinded by our own history. Now, many of us have beliefs and assumptions about retirement that are based on what we saw our parents and our grandparents go through. Now, for example, you know, maybe your grandparent worked until they got sick and passed away. And so you never had a role model of somebody who enjoyed a, a meaningful and, and a long, happy life in retirement. Or maybe your, your parent, you, you watched as they became miserable after, after stepping away from work. So, you know, I asked my coaching clients, we spend a fair amount of time focusing on, you know, are you playing these tapes in your head? And are you making decisions based on that? And I remind them, this doesn't have to be your parent or your grandparents' retirement. Yeah, that <clears throat> sounds like you've talked to all the people we've met and worked with on a day-to-day basis. Uh, really, I mean, there's that is such a common thing. Um, Larry, what, what, um, what's going on uh, in their heads? I mean, what are the emotions there? I mean, what's when you really dive into it, what's, you know, they haven't seen the role model clearly, but what else is happening there? You know, in, in many cases, um, it is that they're overwhelmed by the choices, the unknowns, the decisions that they have to make. Um, in other cases, there are other stakeholders involved and, you know, for example, a spouse. And they know that if they have to start you know, making decisions and making plans that is going to open up a can of worms and they don't want to do that. I and mean, how often do we put off making a decision or having a conversation if we anticipate that it's going to be tough? You know? I never do that, Larry. Right. So the, and it also, of course, at the end of the day, it, it, uh, it evokes our own mortality. Mm-hmm. Um, but, you know, if you own a business, eventually you won't. It's, it's just, <laughs> you know, it, that's just the, the, the the, the logic of it. Um, and so uh, you have to find some way to start start confronting this. Um, the, uh, there, there's also an interesting um, literature about uh, Keith Chen is a Yale economist, and he did a study looking at uh, how language 
can even affect our, our willingness and our propensity to plan for the future. And he found that uh, speakers of languages that grammatically separate the present from the future, including U.S. English, tend to save less uh, for retirement and they retire with less wealth. So it may be something even inherent in our language that, you know, that future planning is something that's hard for us to do. That's fascinating. That's fascinating. Um, so in, in discussions, I mean, if you were to, um, yeah, when you start to talk to somebody, a client or a, a prospective client who's in that situation, you know, what, where do you start with them in terms of, um, I guess, figuring out what's going on and addressing be it these issues or others? Well, you know, w- one of the things that we, we want to look at is uh, you know, what, uh, what are the preconceived notions that they have about retirement to, you know, going into this? Um, what, it, what does it mean to them? What are their fears for the future? Um, what uh, what are the possibilities that they've thought of, you know, to, in in terms of what they'd like to do? Uh, there's a uh, and uh, and of course what their values and interests are, but they, you know, that that requires a fairly deep dive. But in terms of advisors, um, you know, even before those clients get to me, I think there's a lot that that you can do as advisors. The most important thing I think is to give your clients an opportunity to talk about their retirement or their exit concerns. And you've also got to sort of hold on to your chair and resist the temptation to try to fix it. You don't want to say, well, don't feel that way, or you don't, you know, don't, don't offer un, unnecessary reassurances. Let them talk about what they're concerned about. And I think that, the popular media, I think, has glamorized retirement over the last decade or two. Uh, when you see images on television and in magazines and movies of you know, affluent older couples driving in a convertible down the Pacific Coast Highway or you know, kayaking in an ocean inlet, but make no mistake, this is a huge transition for people. And I think we've gotten to the point now where people feel reluctant to even talk about their, their, their possible misgivings or worries because they think they're supposed to look like that, that affluent couple. It's a huge decision, and you have to give them an opportunity to, to talk about um, you know, what, what, what their worries are. The, and, and a very specific suggestion with regard to that, um, you know, obviously you've for the advice to ask open-ended questions. I also recommend that you try to avoid asking questions that start with the word why. As in, you know, why are you selling your business now? Or why are you thinking about retirement? Now, why questions tend to put people on the defensive and they pull for a logical response. Well, if you don't give people a chance to talk about the illogical things, yeah, the 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 fears, the feelings, the ambivalence; those things will emerge later on, and they'll complicate the process, or perhaps even scuttle the deal entirely. So, you know, again, I'm not suggesting that you have to be psychologists, but let people talk about the the things that are, as I say, keeping them up at night. 
Larry, uh, as a as a team, uh, David and I sell companies, and often we find one of the number one underlying factors is there's something else, there's something more important other than this business ownership that they're trying to get to. They've reached a point <clears throat> in their lives where uh, you know some new opportunity or sometimes it's a concern, or maybe a health concern or an economic concern has propelled them to say, yep, now's the time, put it on the market. I would imagine part of your process is to, uh, whether at a point in time or over time, help the owner figure out uh, whether I've got five employees or 500, what what other things could I be doing uh, other than business ownership, which is absorbing, you know, 70 plus hours a week of their time? Uh, do you help guide them to what life beyond business ownership looks like? Thanks for the, the question, Bob. That's very much a part of the process is figuring out what else they might be doing. And also, while they've been so busy working, what parts of themselves have they been neglecting? Um, but I, I walk them through exercises. For example, I have a questionnaire that looks at, tries to get at what are the most compelling, most satisfying elements of work for you? And everybody's a little bit different in terms of what, what are the top, you know, two or three key things that produce the most satisfaction. I mean, for one person, it might be, well, you know, work really gives me a chance to solve problems. Whereas for somebody else, you know, it's, well, work structures my day. It gives me routine. And so if you can identify what was uniquely satisfying about work for you, well, that's probably what you're going to miss the most. And so that's what you want to, where you want to focus your initial energies on to try and find um, a, a solution, uh, a substitute rather. You also touched on, on something else about when people make the decision. And, and uh, you know, I I've, I've did interviews and wrote a book a, a few years ago called Done With Work, uh, A Dozen Perspectives on the Decision to Retire. Um, because, again, it's a huge, huge uh, life transition. And I wanted to, to see if I could help others who are debating when when to pull the plug. And, and what I found among everybody that, that I had interviewed was that that decision seems to come about when the psychological factors are in sync with the external circumstances. And we've all seen situations where they're not in sync. You know, the person may psychologically really want to retire, but their situation doesn't allow it and vice versa. So it seems that when the the psychological piece is in sync with the the situational piece, the decision is a lot easier. So the point here is that it's one thing to help your clients get their business ready to sell, but they themselves have to be ready to sell. I mean, that's really really key. I. Uh, I'd done uh, one of my interviews with, with a gentleman, I'll, I'll call him Bill, and he was not really emotionally ready to step down from, from his business. And the plan in, was to, to turn over operations to one of his children. But it was by no means a foregone conclusion. Um, Bill was really, really struggling with it. And interestingly, he himself, again, had no role model. Um, Many, many decades earlier, his own father uh, had refused to turn the business over to him. 
And, you know, he pounded his desk. Then he said to me, you know, for 30 years, the buck stopped here. And if I step aside, there will be no more bucks, meaning not money, but no more decisions to make, no more responsibilities. And so he had a lot of work to do to, to get ready for this transition. I mean, he had to come to grips with what it would mean if he didn't turn things over to his own child. He had to craft some sort of a, a gradual exit ramp for himself. And he had to figure out what he was going to do afterward. I mean, this was a, so there was a lot of work that had to be, had to be done before this, this business transition could take place. Folks, we're here chatting. Folks, we're, we're, we're chatting with Larry Gard and Larry is uh, the president of Hamilton Chase Consulting in Chicago. Uh, Bob, you had a question? Uh, just to just to follow up, I, I think you nailed it. Uh, we often call it, you know, the business, the, the most optimal outcome is when the business is ready and the owner is ready at the same time. We don't know when the owner is going to be ready, but with the right team of advisors around the owner, preferably XPX members, uh, that business will be in a perpetual state of readiness at all times. And when the owner's ready, optimal outcome is usually the result. Excellent. Excellent point, Bob. Yeah, and, and a further quick follow-up, Larry. So in talking through all these issues, obviously it sounds like, you know, getting from A to Z, getting, in, in, you know, the, the owner ready and laying out, dealing with all these different issues are key. But you touched on a, a, a sub-point there that we see a lot. <clears throat> You mentioned the particular case with the, the, um, the I'll say the child of the owner. Um, you know, we run into owners that are 70 and they start talking about their children and we realize that they're 50. Uh, talk, you know, with that dynamic, um, not just is the owner ready, but the dynamic with the children, if there is a handoff, you know, if it's going to the next generation, what, do you see stumbling blocks in addition to everything we've talked about from parent to child in, in that transition? Well, those those, uh, those can be fraught in some cases. Um, you know, I I think both both sides, both parties involved, have to do a, a fair amount of soul searching and psychological preparation. Um, it's not always easy for the for the parent to turn over the reins, and so it's got to be done sensitively. Um, and they have to be prepared for the possibility that their their offspring will want to do things differently with the firm. Um, but uh, again, you know, it, while it's difficult, that doesn't mean that it doesn't happen all the time. I, th- I think perhaps part of it is is going into the process, understanding that it's it's not like flipping a switch. It, it is going to involve some some heartfelt discussions. Um, but again, there too, that's where I think the, uh, uh, talented advisors can play a role by asking, asking good questions, inviting respectful dialogue. Um, the, uh, the, the other piece with, with that particular transition, I think it's very important that you do find, a, a gradual exit ramp. For the for the parent, one that that preserves their dignity and also allows them an opportunity to to continue to make contributions because they, you know their experience is invaluable. But everybody has to know what, where the guardrails are on that. Also, 
Yeah, excellent. Well, we can't let you get out of here without asking, and uh, John or Bob may have another question, but um, so you're part of XPX. Why are you a part of XPX? You know, David, over the years, I have joined a number of organizations focused on things like business growth, M&A, turnaround, and eventually exit planning. And when I would go to the networking events and introduce myself as a consulting psychologist, people would look at me like I had a third eye in the middle of my forehead. (laughs) Who knows? Maybe I did. But I, I would try to explain to these folks that many of the business challenges that they're trying to help their clients with are, at the end of the day, quite often people challenges too, and that I could be of help either you know, consulting to them or perhaps consulting and working with their clients. Um, a lot of those folks just didn't get it, but XPX is very different. It is truly a, a multidisciplinary collaborative organization, and it really does take a holistic approach to serving their clients. I find it very welcoming and I feel like my expertise is appreciated there. And in turn, I've learned a tremendous amount from my colleagues who are in other professions. And I really like the ability to network across chapters, which is how I ended up you know, speaking with you all today. So I, I, I thank you for that. Yeah, that's great. We appreciate that. It's um, obviously a bit of a plug for XPX, but the the, yeah, the the broad breadth of advisors who are members just, you know, is indicative of the need the business owners have in these complex times on both business side, the personal side, but not just the deal team and the structure side of it, but also building value along the way. So that's great. Appreciate you coming on, Larry. It's, it's, uh, this has been fun. It's, um, it's, uh, it's, I think it's an aspect of all of this that a lot of folks think don't take into account. And as you were talking about earlier, uh, don't understand why things don't happen with a sale or why things fall apart or why they take a lot more time than they should because we tend to ignore those things. So yeah, no, this has been great. Uh, yeah, that, uh, any, yeah. anything, any other questions from Bob or John? Otherwise we, um, I'll leave it back to John. To- yeah. Well, I, I want to make sure we get out there for, I mean, Larry was nice enough to endorse XPX uh, as an organization, but we need to let Larry talk a little bit about maybe how you engage with a particular situation, uh, right? So if, if one of our XPX members reaches out to you or someone else that's listening to this show reaches out to you, uh, how, how does it, how does an engagement work and, and how do you, uh, initiate the process with a client? Good, good question, John. Thank you. <clears throat> well, as I mentioned, I, I tend typically offer short-term coaching. And my, my, you know, when I had a psychotherapy practice, the, the, that was a longer term process. But most of the folks I work with around the, the exit planning, these, these are successful people who just need some, somebody to talk to about some, some of their concerns about what that next chapter is going to look like. So we're, we're not necessarily getting involved in long term work. So typically it's either three or five sessions of, of coaching. Um, we start by looking at their beliefs and assumptions about retirement, um, uh, do a variety of exercises to clarify their, their interests and their values. We'll look at how they've handled past transitions in life because you know, this isn't the first one that they've had. 
And quite often we've learned an awful lot about ourselves if in, in past transitions. So we try and figure out what are the lessons that we can apply moving forward. Um, and then again, we'll also look at what was uniquely satisfying about work for them and see if we can't come up with some suitable substitutes. But all this work is done remotely. Uh, I shifted over uh, a year ago to remote work, and I think I'll probably stick with that. So it's, uh, it's, it's pretty convenient for folks. Terrific. Uh, you know, Larry, this has been great and we really appreciate you being with us and, and coming on to talk about your work and this very important subject. Um, we've got to get to the most important question, which is at this point, someone that's heard what you've had to say, uh, feels the need to be in touch, tell them how they can connect with you. What are your coordinates? Ah, well, probably email is the best. Uh, I'll give you a couple of email addresses. One is uh, Dr. Elgar, that's D-R-L-G-A-R-D, at Hamilton Chase Consulting. Uh, the other is uh, Dr. Elgard at donewithwork.org. Terrific. Larry Gard has been with us, folks, with Hamilton Chase Consulting. Larry, thanks so much for being with us. My pleasure. And folks, just uh, another quick reminder that this show is brought to you by XPX Atlanta, which is changing the trajectory of exit planning services in the Southeast, not just in Atlanta. Um, if you want more information on XPX Atlanta, its events, its mission, um, connect with members of that chapter, go to xpxatlanta.org. David, Bob, this has been another good one. John, appreciate it. Uh, you know, we didn't do a whole lot. Larry carried it, and we appreciate that. Uh, and again, John, thank you for not just producing the show, but doing that as a sponsor of the uh, XPX Atlanta chapter. Really uh, appreciate it. It's a pleasure. I'm, I, I love uh, being part of the organization. Y'all doing such great work. And and it, the organization's growing. So, folks, plug in with us. we got a lot of great events coming up xpxatlanta.org check us out um uh you'll be glad you did so uh for my co-host david shavzin bob tanksley i'm john ray join us next month here on the exit exchange <laughs>